the 15th floor of the Energy Building, this is GNR Airtime, the podcast that explores the current trends from emerging and well-established industries hosted by the lawyers of GNR. This podcast is for general guidance only and does not constitute definitive advice. Hi everyone, welcome to GNR Airtime. My name is Alamanda Daud and I'm an associate at GNR and I'm joined by my colleagues Dion Alfadia and Pratama Sukirno. In this episode, we are very happy to have Ifan Tambunan, CEO and co-founder of Acceleran. So welcome Ifan. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, we have lots to talk about and who wants to start? Can I tell you the, the first basic question? How did you uh, come about the idea of uh, setting up Acceleran and how did it evolve? to become Axelran that we know now. Yeah, yeah. So in 2013, I went to the UK, uh, to London to do, do my master's okay. uh, at Queen Mary. Uh, at that point, uh, I wrote a dissertation on crowdfunding. And uh, I thought it was really good if we can bring the concept to Indonesia, mm-hmm. uh, particularly given that at that point, there was no bona fide crowdfunding platform. Right. Uh, So I finished my study uh, in 2014, working a while at Eno's office in London, uh, and then going back to Jakarta, uh, and I wanted to create a crowdfunding platform. Uh, but I needed to put the capital first. So right. I, I had to work for a while, uh, and then we launched the platform in uh, March 2017, right. initially as an equity crowdfunding platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, The idea was at that point we wanted to have an integrated crowdfunding platform that provides uh, equity, but also debt uh, to businesses. Right. Yeah. Uh, but because at that point we have already had Modalku, Investry, Coinworks yeah. uh, that uh, are in the P2P lending space, we decided we came up with equity crowdfunding first, and then later on launched the peer-to-peer lending aspect. Uh, but it turns out. Uh, within about two months uh, after we launched, we knew that the there was no product market fit, uh, mm. particularly given that Indonesians uh, like to invest in fixed income, short-term investment instrument. Yeah. Uh, so we decided to pivot yeah. immediately uh, after two months. Uh, uh, we decided to pivot. We prepared uh, and overhauled our system mm-hmm. and we managed to launch the peer-to-peer lending platform in October uh, right. 2017. So oh, we right. rebranded, re-launched uh, the platform. And the result was uh, really good. Uh, when we were doing equity crowdfunding, within six months, we only dispersed about $2 billion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but once we pivoted into a peer-to-peer lending platform, the first three months, we disbursed $13 billion. Mm. Six months, we disbursed uh, $30 billion. And right now, we are almost two years old. Uh, we've disbursed more than $700 billion. So wow. the difference was yeah. really uh, yeah, big. Really yeah. Significant. Yeah. So you said you started with the equity crowdfunding. Yeah. Do you still uh, operate that platform now or it's purely no. peer-to-peer lending? It's purely peer-to-peer lending platform right, right now. Yeah. Okay, so I think I think that's a very good example on how you have to react 
to yeah. what the market wants. Uh, and I, I don't think this only applies to uh, crowdfunding business. It's also other platform business. We just spoke about uh, our friend startup mm. uh, just before now. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. this uh, actually our discussion actually re- reflects the same thing. Yeah, particularly for startups because mm. in startups, the idea is to scale your business yeah. significantly within a short time. That's by definition is the difference between startup and SMEs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you can, if you don't have a product market fit, mm-hmm. you won't be able to scale up quickly, no matter what you do. Yeah. Uh, even if you burn money, if you don't have product market fit, it just won't happen. It mm-hmm. won't take off. You you just told us that the the total amount that you disperse is 700 billion. Yeah, more than 700. Since 2017, then. Since October to 2017. Yeah, right. Correct. And what is the default rate? Uh, default rate. Uh, so. Historically, we've been able to consistently manage the default rate at about six, uh, 0.6% okay. of our total disbursement. Uh, we've seen an increase NPL in the past uh, two months after the Lebaran holiday. Uh-huh. Uh, right now, we are at about 1.5% of total disbursement, which is still at a manageable level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a very good number. Yeah, but the idea is we want to maintain it to be no higher than 1%. Right. So right now, we... We've put some effort to manage this. We've increased our underwriting standard. Okay. And on top of that, we intensify our collection effort. Right. So the idea is we want to be uh, at lower than 1% by the end of the year. Just to give a bit of context, uh, Ivan uh, hinted that he was uh, working in London with Ellen and Overy. So basically, Ivan was one of us. Uh, he's a lawyer at ANO Jakarta at Ginting and Raksodi Putro. Uh, and then in 2013, after uh, he finished his master's degree at Queen Mary, he continues uh, taking a second man uh, in ANO London, which I assume yeah, is yeah, a very yeah. good experience. So yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. And and what we know about Axelran is that it's focusing on disbursing loans to SMEs. Uh, may we know why you're focusing on SMEs rather than just individuals? Yeah. So the idea is, uh, is that we want to turn financial inclusion into reality in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is, a lot of people are using this term financial inclusion and they claim that they are actually building financial inclusion. But the reality is not everyone that claiming so really try to create financial inclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our view, financial inclusion has to be healthy. So if we only just put people in that, for personal reasons that is unnecessary uh, in our opinion that's not really productive that's not that's not a good financial inclusion mm-hmm. so uh, we decided we wanted to focus on SME because there is a lot of funding gap in the SME segment according to a World Bank survey the gap is about 1,000 to 2,000 trillion a year mm-hmm. so if we are able to uh, fill that gap uh, we will be the, the SMEs will be able to grow and it will create massive multiplier effect yeah. to Indonesia's economy. So that's the idea. Mm-hmm. And at the other side, uh, for the mass market, yeah. we create a financial inclusion by providing investment access, democratizing investment access to everyone, where uh, anyone can start lending through our platform just by 100,000 rupiah yeah. with a very uh, easy way to register. So that's the idea. Uh, Later on, perhaps we might enter the consumer uh, loan space, but it's more on the 
the plan is to, to, to have an employee loan product that is based on payroll. Mm-hmm. So we will be able to like advance about one month salary with uh, reasonable interest rates. Yep. Uh, that's the key, I think. If you're charging excessive interest rates and you uh, practice uh, excessive collection uh, effort, then it's not it's no longer a good financial inclusion. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes so much sense. At the point where you need where you need to grow even more than you're growing now, then you, you naturally you will need to think uh, of uh, diversifying, diversifying yeah. your, your your products. But yeah. for now, SMEs uh, are yeah. your focus, yeah. right? And I'm very interested in your second point on on uh, inclusion, not only uh, financial inclusion to for the borrowers, but also for people who would like to invest. I mean, yeah. these people they 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 are investment savvy. Uh, they know the knowledge. Uh, they want to invest, but they don't have the right ticket. Yeah. So with this, with your platform, uh, they basically they do it together with other investors uh, at their level, and giving the loan up to a certain the, the amount that uh, prescribed in on your uh, platform to give it to the borrowers. I mean, I'm very proud to say that uh, many of our lawyers here in in GNR are your investors. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and and the point is, uh, we want to be inclusive. So we have everyone as lenders in Axelran, be it uh, security guy, Gojek driver, mm-hmm. to high net worth individuals, and they are spread all over Indonesia from Aceh to Papua. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the key, I think, uh, where we leverage technology to open the access to, for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that note, you know, I think the the perception is that Indonesia generally is still sort of financially illiterate in terms of you know investments and making those decisions. What are some of the challenges in trying to convince you know, Indonesians in investing into something like you know, Acceleran? Yeah, uh, I think uh, the key is number one, we need to provide a simple product. And uh, that investment is quite simple. I mean, everyone, I think in, in a traditional way, already do lending. Mm. Uh, so it's a quite simple product. But what most people don't understand is the risk-return relationship. Uh, basically, if you want to have a higher return, uh, you need to, to take a higher risk. This is a concept that not many people understand. And we did a survey together with uh, students from uh, the Faculty of Economy of UI. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out that the number one uh, reasons why someone chooses a specific loan mm-hmm. in Axelran platform mm-hmm. is the interest rate. And mm-hmm. risk is number six. Okay, so you can imagine. When there is an NPL, then people becoming uh, start complaining. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but you know, s- sometimes people just pick the highest uh, interest loan. Mm. They don't diversify their holdings. Just put everything in that loan, and when there is a problem with that loan, it becomes uh, they're complaining. Uh, so that's I think the challenge to let people know that there is a risk written relationship, you want a higher interest rate loan, uh, there is a higher risk. So what we're doing to tackle that right now, we put, uh, we're trying to put 100% uh, insurance, credit insurance over mm-hmm. the loans, over all of the loans in Axelron platform. We've actually uh, started to implement it just this week. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so the idea is going forward, all the loans in Axelron will be protected by credit insurance. That will lower the interest rate because you need to pay the uh, insurance premium, yeah. but the idea is it protects people uh, better. 
Right. Very interesting. Now that our listeners know that you are a former lawyer, uh, can you tell us what's the, I mean, is there any issues with you having a mindset of a lawyer in the back of your mind? Or is actually it's something that's supporting your uh, uh, business as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think uh, one of the key advantages uh, of being a lawyer is you are trained to think structurally. Uh, you're also trained to handle complex matters simultaneously. Uh, that helps a lot uh, when you're uh, doing business. Yeah. And the other thing is problem solving. Yeah. Uh, as a lawyer, you are expected to solve other people's problem. Uh, and when you're doing business, uh, as particularly as a CEO, what you do is you're expected to put the strategy and the goals. And once uh, you've done that, then the next thing is you just solve problems over problems over problems. And that requires that problems, problem solving skills. Right. Now, in terms of managing risk, I mean, we as lawyers, we are trained to minimize or uh, even uh, take zero risk. Uh, mm -hmm. to our clients. Yeah. Of course, it's not always practicable, yeah. uh, but uh, as an entrepreneur, definitely that's an approach that you don't want. I mean, you take zero risk, then you take zero uh, opportunities as well. So does that mean, I know some very good lawyers who expressly told me that I can never become a businessman mm -hmm. because I can never take uh, this risk, yeah. having trained for 15 or more years as a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about it? Well, that's true. I mean, as a lawyer, you tend to be conservative. Mm. Uh, but the good thing is, uh, I work at ANO before, <laughs> where we are trained to be commercial. Uh, so, that's very uh, important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, risk is always there. Uh, and the other problem is, lawyers uh, tend to be not having a deep understanding on finance. Mm. Uh, that's also the misadvantage of my past experience. But uh, I tackled that by doing my master's study uh, by taking an MSc in law and finance rather than a traditional LLM. Oh, so that okay. helped me a lot. Uh, yeah. So your master's was an MSc? Yes, MSc in oh, law and finance. I just knew that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now, now this one is an... Uh, question that's more for my benefits and I'm sure our listeners will also be very interested in it. Uh, now that you have reached your uh, series, you, you have closed your series, series A. A funding, yeah. right? And it was a long journey to become series E. I don't even uh, know how a startup can reach to that point, yeah. how a startup is ready for uh, series A funding. Yeah. But we want to discuss something uh, even further back. How did you get your initial uh, funding? I mean, you mean you you got you got family, friends, fools, and everything. Uh, do you have angels? How important uh, is angels for your business? Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. So when we we've completed four rounds of financing, uh, angel round, seed round, pre A round, and recently a series A round. Right. Uh, when we just started, just before we launched uh, the platform, we raised an angel round. Mm -hmm. It's a small amount. But at that point, you can only uh, raise funds from your friends and families, yeah. mm -hmm. particularly if you have not had any experience running a startup before. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. Uh, we raised just a small amount from friends, from colleagues. Uh, one of them is actually a former ANO lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's good. Uh, that's the initial step. Yeah. Once you've launched your platform and you have had uh, uh, an initial uh, traction, mm -hmm. then you can start raising seed round 
at that point you you're, uh, you can start to look at institutional investors. Right. Uh, once you've had the uh, a better traction, mm-hmm. I think uh, VCs will start noticing that. Yeah. And uh, if earlier you knock a lot of VCs, at that point VCs will start knocking at your doors as well. Right. Uh, yeah, so we pitch, I think, to more than 100 VCs. Mm-hmm. So far, it's more than 100. Uh, the good thing is, once you've had the traction, uh, that shows you have a product market fit, mm-hmm. then uh, you'll be able to, to get more investors. Right. And w- one important thing is that getting a VC to invest in your startup is like uh, asking someone to be your girlfriend, actually. <laughs> it's like dating. Uh, you will know, I think, in the first two to three meetings, uh-huh. whether you will uh, get the deals done. In my experience, it's always, uh, uh, you know, the investors always commit quickly if the, uh, the investors finally get into our rounds. And, and just to add on that, um, so you mentioned that it's like, you know, coming in a, in a relationship with a yeah. girlfriend and obviously when you're choosing a girlfriend, you look at certain things that, you know, you like in a, in a girlfriend, you know. So, so what are the things from you that, that you look at when you look at an investor? And obviously, they also look at you, but you know, vice versa. Yeah. There's things that you, you look at investors as well that, and what they can offer yeah. uh, to you. So uh, this really depends on your bargaining position. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, beggars don't get to choose. But if you have a good bargaining position and you get a lot of uh, interest, I think uh, you want to you see from strategic point of view whether the investors can bring additional values so they don't only give what is called as dumb money. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in our uh, last round, we have one of the largest private banks as our investor that brings a lot of credibility to our platform. We have a Japanese investor that brings access to Japan which has a short, uh, I mean, which has a low interest rate. Uh, we have a VC from Hong Kong, which give us access to Hong Kong and China as well. Mm. And we have local investors as well uh, that are well connected in, 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 in Indonesia. So that brings uh, a lot of values to Akhtaran in addition to uh, the money that we get. I think, I think that's the key. Another thing is whether the investor can open a new market for you. I think that's also an additional uh, aspect. Yeah. So, so the the value is just beyond uh, money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. But the thing is, in in your initial stage of business, uh, like like you said, yeah. Uh, like what I know is even uh, startups in Series B, Series C, mm. they can be very very short of money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- this is just a, a, yeah. a hypothetical question. What if an investor that you know have then a VC that doesn't have good reputation in the market comes yeah. to you with 10 million USD, yeah. but then this guy has a reputation or this guy is it's not a professional VC, it's yeah. like an individual having a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it depends on your runway. So that's why it's key. Uh, one of the key is to time your fundraising uh, well. If, if you only have one month left, you won't be able to choose, right? You, and I have a friend who just closed his funding round and he had to take uh, an investment from an investor that uh, he doesn't like, but he had to because his runway is only, it's not even a month, it's next week. So it was either you take it or you die. Yeah, so yeah, I think uh, to the extent possible, you need to prevent that to happen. You need to time your 
your fundraising well, it takes uh, about, I think you need to prepare about four to six months in advance. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people say that you can close it quickly, two to three months, but in my experience, it takes around four to six months yeah. to get your round close. At the end, it, it about, it's about uh, handling multiple things in one time, like, yeah. like, like yeah. what you said. I mean, life as a founder, life as a CEO, yeah. you have to focus on your operation to get yeah. more tractions. Yeah. But then you cannot just focus on that because the money uh, needs to come in yeah. and it needs to come in at the right time. Yeah. So uh, that perception happens because uh, of the excessive interest rates being charged, mm. particularly by the illegal P2P platforms. Mm -hmm. So uh, I run together with the other players uh, yeah. in the association, try to curb this mm. practice. So we look around, we look into other jurisdictions, what, what do they do mm. to solve this issue? So a lot of jurisdictions actually have what is called as usury law, mm. which puts a cap on the interest rates. Yeah. And the association implemented these uh, rules. Uh, we actually use the standard applied by the FCA in the UK. Yeah. Uh, it's 0.8% per day, uh, maximum uh, interest uh, being charged, uh, which is this, what FCA puts uh, in the UK. And on top of that, uh, the maximum amount of repayment is no higher than 100% of the principal. That's the uh, rules for short-term loans. So we've implemented that uh, with the association, with the FinTech Association, AFP. Uh, so if you're dealing with legal peer-to-peer -peer lending platforms, uh, that's the maximum rate that you can charge. Uh, but you also need to remember that for a short-term loan, 14 days, okay. if you charge 0.8%, you multiply it by 14, you only get about how much? 11.2%. Uh, and that's a cash loan that is assessed based on your national ID mm. and perhaps your uh, credit history and your behaviors, yeah. either your mobile data or your transactional data. And the NPL rate naturally will be high. Okay, and you only get 11.2%. And 11.2%, if you multiply it by the amount that you take, for this short-term loan, usually it's a small amount, one, one million. So 11.2, that's about 110,000, okay? If you calculate uh, the transfer fees, already 6,000. Mm. Uh, the background check-in can take about 15 to 20,000, so you get 25,000. And then you have to have a certain... Uh, cushion for NPL. So at the, at the end of the day, it's not really, if you look at it that way, mm. uh, it's not really excessive as well if you, if you have a 0.8%. So it depends. It depends on how fast the loan is approved, uh, mm. what's the requirement, the amount, and the tenor. Yep. Uh, and it goes back to the risk return relationship as well. But uh, from my personal point of view, uh, I think in the long run, uh, a lot of fintech platforms, including Axelran, are trying to fix this problem, this image. Uh, Axelran is charging about 18 to 21% per annum. Mm -hmm. So that's far from being excessive. Uh, so that people know that in fintech space, there are players that charge reasonable rates as well. Mm. So you really need to see the business model of the fintech. Mm -hmm. There are players that play in the cash loan, players that play in the productive uh, space. And we're trying to educate the people as much as possible on this, together with the association and together with OJK as well. 
KPPU, I think, uh, issued a statement about uh, the last two weeks, uh, two weeks ago, uh, that there's an indication of price, price fixing. Uh, I myself, uh, with the association, handled this issue. We sent a letter already to KPPU. We explained that there is no such uh, price fixing. It's a price cap. Mm. So if, you, if we look into uh, the regulation, uh, the law, uh, anti-monopoly law, uh, particularly Article 5 and Article 11 about cartel and price fixing. Uh, what is meant as price fixing is uh, the industry together or the players together try to put the minimum price, the floor price, while what AFP is doing is we put the, the ceiling price, mm. uh, it's, it's the cap. Yeah. So it's the other way around. We're actually uh, educating the players yeah. uh, so that everyone doesn't charge excessive rates. Mm. It's the other way around. What we are doing is actually help. Uh, it helps uh, the customers. I think it's, yeah, it's two things. Uh, the first thing is what you said. Uh, what's the intent of this? It's yeah. not uh, to uh, have a concerted practice, not to collude among uh, the P2P lenders, yeah. but just to make sure we are not uh, loan sharks that yeah. Tama mentioned. We are, we are not pinjol. Yeah. Uh, and then the second one is that this is the common practice done by the associations outside of Indonesia. You said you're, you're copying what FCA Correct. Uh, in the UK yeah. has implemented. Yeah. And that is two uh, important things that uh, we hopefully the KPP can see it yeah. uh, as opposed to just seeing what the potential collusion yeah. Uh, yeah. would be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, uh, as I said, there are a lot of business models in FinTech. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Various platforms charge various uh, interest rates. So if if KPPU uh, gathers the data on the interest charge by each platform, they will see that there are actually a lot of rates, uh, different rates being charged. So there's no way there's a price fixing. Yeah, in so you're supported by the data. Well, I, I think uh, it's good for AFP for the, because I know from the news as well that OJK is currently pushing for FinTech law yeah. Uh, I think yeah. if it's uh, really spelled out in that fintech law that the association uh, has to set out the maximum, the ceiling uh, of the interest rate. So it's basically it's a uh, it's something extended. It's something mandated by the law itself. Then what AFP has been doing? What AFP has been doing is right. Uh, but then if it's mandated by the law, it's much safer for the players. I think uh, we together with the association are pushing for a fintech law. One of the main reasons is right now there is no criminal penalty for any illegal fintech players no. because the regulation is uh, on fintech is uh, an OJK regulation, it's not a law. So there is no criminal sanction yeah. there. If we have a fintech law, then the illegal peer-to-peer -peer lending platforms can be criminalized. Mm. That's one thing, and I think it's very important. Otherwise, in the long run, uh, the illegal platforms, they just get ban mm. but then they create a new well, platform yeah. with a new name the following day yeah. so yeah that's that's the hard thing without the law that's that's uh, number one the other one is uh, we want to have the ability to uh, crowdfund mm. from the public uh, in a more uh, efficient way mm. so right now there is a restriction for fintech platforms to not keep uh, clients fund for more than two days. Mm. 
in our escrow account. Two days. Two days, yeah. No more than, sure. no longer than two days. So the reason for that is under the banking law, uh, no one can menghimpun dana unless uh, you're a bank or unless it is governed under a specific law. Uh, that's why, because there's no fintech law, yeah, we cannot do, uh, you know, there is a risk that what we're doing, the crowdfunding, can mm-hmm. be seen as menghimpun dana. Yeah. And that's why OJK puts the restriction uh, that we can only put uh, two days in our escrow account. Uh, and because of that, now we need to open a bank account for each of our lender. Mm. Uh, but the thing is, opening a bank account right now is not fully digital. Mm-hmm. And that creates a big issue uh, for pure peer-to-peer players, mm. okay? Uh, that's, that's, that's the other uh, thing. And I think the, the last thing is, is on uh, privacy law. Uh, it will be much better if we have our privacy law, which I understand it will be issued hopefully soon, either uh, end of this year or maybe next year. Uh, the reason is also the same. Right now, there's a huge concern about data privacy. Uh, Fintech payers now can only take data from the mobile phone uh, three ways, uh, sorry, three forms. You can only take uh, the camera, uh, the microphone, and the location of your uh, customers, which restricts a lot of uh, Fintech players. I mean, in Fintech, you need to be able to utilize data. And when you have that kind of restriction, then you won't be able to uh, optimize your platform, mm. but I understand from Onjika perspective, they need to put that restriction in place as long as the privacy law is not there yet. Yeah. Maybe going back to um, just on while we're still on the regulations uh, point, Ethan. Um, so we know that Axelaran was initially developed as an equity crowdfunding um, platform, yeah. um, and then you also said that um, in the beginning you you realized that um, you had to pivot your um, strategy yeah. into a p2p platform now i don't know if you realize but well of course you will but ojk just recently um, issued a new uh, regulation on yeah. equity crowdfunding yeah. um, do you see any developments in this area and whether viability has uh, improved since you'd uh, initially um, planned to do it yeah i think i think uh one of the key aspects is there is no trustee law. So under that uh, equity crowdfunding regulation, the shares that are issued to the investors must be registered under the investors' names. So you can imagine the company, the, the target company, you know, uh, they will have like how many shareholders, particularly in the initial stage. If you have like, you get more than 50 shareholders then you need to have a lot of uh, what do you call it, uh, housekeeping to be done. And that will put uh, the company in a lot of uh, administrative works. So we suggested uh, to OJK, actually I was involved in the uh, draft regulation on that. We suggested that the platform is appointed as the uh, agent of the investors and just register the shares under the name of the platform. But Obviously, because there's, there's no trustee law, uh, OJK couldn't uh, do it. I think that's the big issue. Uh, as long as you still need to register the shares under the names of the investor, it will be hard. Uh, and on top of that, uh, the product market fit, as I, as I mentioned, uh, 
the idea for crowdfunding is to democratize, uh, to open access of investment. Uh, but if the people at large uh, are not keen on investing in equity because it's long term and it's not uh, fixed income, uh, it will be uh, uh, it will be hard to attract uh, yeah. people to be the investors. Yeah, it's really interesting how you said that uh, you're also involved in the drafting of the regulations. It's really important for business players such as you to be involved yeah. um, in regulations like this. Um, how do you place uh, P2P in the current eco- uh, lending ecosystem? So we uh, actually have seen a recent shift in the market where banks are start starting to embrace uh, partnerships or entertain the idea of partnerships uh, for now uh, with P2Ps. Um, do you, how do you see this playing out? Yeah, I think I think collaboration is very important uh, because what we have right now, P2P, in terms of liquidity, is nothing compared to the liquidity that banks have. Uh, so if we do not collaborate, then we cannot optimize the platforms. Uh, we we should be able to be an acquisition channel uh, for the banks to acquire customers efficiently. Uh, uh, so I think collaboration is key because. It, In particular, most P2Ps, they don't serve customers that are already fully served by banks. They actually target the underserved or the unbanked uh, customers. So these are not the existing customers of the banks. Um, so there is no, you know, there, there, there are a lot of saying that we disrupt the banking industry. But in my opinion, particularly in Indonesia, it's not really disrupting. Uh, it's a different segment, different market. So uh, we've seen a lot of uh, collaborations. Uh, Axteran also doing a lot of collaboration with uh, leasing companies, uh, with banks on channeling scheme. Uh, we also have an investment from a bank as well. Uh, and in the long run, I think uh, if, we, if P2P platform want, want to be able to provide massive liquidity, then they need to collaborate with banks. Yeah, hearing from your explanations, it seems that um, everyone else is sort of encouraging P2P to grow in Indonesia. Uh, but if on the flip side, um, I see places like China where P2P was um, was really growing, but then recently there has been somewhat of a crackdown from the government where they issued regulations that are either intended or in effect um, provides or hurdles, hurdles to uh, P2P players uh, in the region. So, um, do you see this risk in Indonesia? So it's it's uh, quite different mm-hmm. uh, the our environment with what happened in China. Yeah. So P 2 P in China started in 2008. Mm-hmm. It was only regulated back in 2016. So for eight years, from 2008 to 2016, it was a wild wild west yeah. environment there. Yeah, yeah. No regulation. Uh, With the idea was that the Chinese government want to increase uh, financial access, mm-hmm. but what happened, as we can see, there was Ponzi scheme, a lot of people losing their money. Uh, but it's very different with what is happening in Indonesia. OJK from the initial uh, stage back at the end of 2016 has issued uh, regulation, mm-hmm. uh, and they continue to put various uh, implementing. either policies or implementing regulations like the two days escrow restriction, like the data privacy, uh, you can only access a certain uh, 
data uh, collection practices, uh, requirements to join association. So it's 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 very different with yep. what happened in China. Yep. How about other markets? Uh, are there any uh, regulatory developments or regulatory uh, frameworks elsewhere? Uh, that you wish that Indonesia can also adopt? I mean, you've also mentioned um, criminalizing illegal platforms, stuff like that, but are there any other things that people are doing outside that you wish uh, are in Indonesian regulations? Uh, yeah, I think uh, as a starter, uh, the there's a cap on the amount of, that can be land here, which is 2 billion uh, rupiah per borrower. Yeah. 2 billion is good for small businesses but when we're dealing with medium-sized businesses uh, we are trying to get to up to 30 billion rupiah mm. and we've discussed it with, with OJK as well and the association has submitted a proposal to increase the limit to about 30 billion uh, and at the very least uh, we want it to be at at least 10 billion because that's I think the, the amount that uh, mid-sized businesses uh, need for their working capital and we've we've, we've seen uh, the regulations in singapore mm. in malaysia and we put it as a reference uh, you know when we submitted our proposal to ojk so that's one thing you obviously are one of the major business players now here um in p2p so can you um give us a uh, an elevator pitch if you will to um, lenders borrowers um, perhaps even investors um what would be your elevator pitch on P2P? Yeah, I think for borrowers, uh, if, if you need working capital, then I think P2P can provide a, a very open, efficient way mm -hmm. to get funding because uh, you will be assessed based on your cash flow, not based on your collateral, mm -hmm. and you will get a very flexible products like invoice financing or pre-invoice financing where you, you only need to submit your invoice. Uh, you can get financing if you get a PO or contracts uh, with acceptable rates. That's for the borrower. Uh, while for the lenders, uh, P2P gives you access of investment, uh, very uh, efficient. You only need to do everything online. Mm -hmm. Interest rates is about 18 to 21%, which is uh, you know, really good return compared to uh, what you will get in the money market or even in the stock market yeah. these days. Uh, so I think, yeah, that's that's the, the pitch. Well, yeah. that's, that's really great to hear. Um, and we're obviously very proud of you as an AUNO alumni. <laughs> um, uh, and I'm sure you'll be an inspiration for young professionals looking out to venture into the business world. Do you have any advice for us here still or everyone uh, else out there? Yeah, I think if, if you want to open a business, uh, you need to uh, definitely think about uh, a problem that you need to solve and you are able to provide effective solutions. Uh, if you are able to do that, you will get what is called as the product market fit. Mm -hmm. So you solve problems using an efficient solution. That's number one, uh, focus on that. Uh, number two is be bold, be brave. Uh, it will be hard, uh, but at the end of the day, being an entrepreneur, it, it gives you uh, a freedom that people don't have, actually. I think that's, that's one of the keys. Uh, benefits of being an entrepreneur and it's, it's always good uh, on the other side yeah just to add this advice from Ivan is not for no lawyers <laughs> <laughs>
So yeah, guys, stay where you are. So thanks so much, Ifan. We really enjoyed having you here. You're thanks, everyone. everyone. Yeah, we really you appreciate your time. love to share our story. And to everyone, we'll see you in the next episode of GNR Airtime. See you.